Welcome to the Truth of the Matter Is podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, alongside Jonathan. We're back for episode number 110. Speaking on behalf of myself and Jonathan, we appreciate everyone for listening in today. Before we begin, let's give a round of applause to all who have decided to join us today. We thank you and hope that you continue to press play during your own time. Good evening, Daniel. How are you? We're doing pretty well, Jonathan. Uh, just went on a nice walk for the evening, so feeling nice and relaxed, nice and calm, and ready to embrace all the fireworks that the people might hear in the background. That's interesting. You know it's been pouring, right? Well, I, for one, am one of the people who love the rain, so... It's been nothing but great weather for me, but I know a lot of people are looking for the beach weather. No rain or summer showers at all, just cloudless skies and, and sunny skies. But I'm not a rapper, though. You know that rap. All right. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I was out there much later in the day and kind of reminded me of what transpired I want to say maybe three four months ago when everywhere you, you can go in Brooklyn or Queens there were floods so I thought maybe we might begin to taste of that but I soon found out that it stopped and now currently it's on and off so not too yeah it comes ago. in spurts which is not bad considering like the Canadian uh wildfire that happened in Quebec so and then seeing how much smoke and stuff was down here it is a good thing that I in my opinion that it's raining as much as it is so I'm happy with it so you think it's a better result now I think it's good for the environment that it's raining yeah 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 it's also good personally I'm not a I'm not I'm not a big fan of extreme hot weather and like when it's just sunny all the time, I'm not a fan of that. I like. I the got rain. you. The humidity can be punishing. I've had that experience, but you know, right now, kind of neutral about everything. Just taking it one day at a time. So today, the goal was to start on the Lord's Prayer. However, I had a change of heart, so I figured we could take a trip down memory lane today instead. But of course, before we get into it, I want to also mention there are some of the members of the audience, Daniel, that care to hear your opinion a little bit more on today's episode. So I want to you know, put it on notice that we hope to hear from you a little bit more today. And we're going to be doing a style that's a little bit more extemporaneous. So normally myself and Daniel prep out some of the verses that are in support and for those who listened to last week's episode and we talked about hermeneutics one of the important things when it comes to piecing information together is supportive text but today we're going to speak a little bit more extemporaneous and it's more of a reflection and experience that i have but we'll get to that so let's first begin with prayer Oh God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word, because with it, 
We can move accordingly. We can use the, your wisdom in situations ahead of time. Lord, we can study ourselves approved unto you. Lord, we can use your word to correct ourselves as well as others who are receptive to it. With your word, we can learn what your will is for us individually, for us as a body. We can learn for those in the past while trying not to repeat what didn't work. Lord, your word serves us in so many ways. And therefore, as we go into it today, I pray that you open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand what was written for our benefit. And therefore, all in agreement, we say these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, as it was stated in the soft open, goal was to begin unpacking the Lord's Prayer as we continue in the Gospel of Matthew series. But I had a change of heart and this was a result of what transpired this week and this week while I was working I've revisited the Gospel of Luke in my own time and discovered actually some interesting things. For those who have been listening to the Two for the Matters podcast for a while you would know that there are two episodes that are titled Startling Discoveries when we were diving into the Gospel of Luke series. Therefore, when we completed the Gospel of Luke series, I honestly never thought that there would be more to discuss for a while. Kind of gave you a surface and to some extent deep elements of Luke, but I figured full circle as we hope to strive as long as myself and Daniel stay connected as brothers, maybe revisited Luke at some point with so much going on. We'll have to see how that plays out and how long this podcast continues to be aired. But what I was trying to say is that I went through a period of time of personal study and I thought it would be a great idea to take a trip down memory lane. What's interesting is when, you know, when it comes to reading God's word, there's debate on how one should process what they read. And I'm here to tell you that reading the word of God on your own is an amazing experience. However, in the time period that we're in, technology evolving, and also being accessible and helpful to make your life a little bit more easier, there are apps and actual physical Bibles and Kindles and so many different things. There's study Bibles. There's, and this effort is designed to help elevate and desire when it comes to God's word. So, with that being said, I discovered this while listening to the word. There's a passage in Romans chapter 10, verse 17 in the English Standard Version, and this is what it says. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. 
actually love it also in the amplified version let's take a look at that again again this is romans chapter 10 verse 17. faith comes from here what is told and what is heard comes by the preaching of the message concerning christ so while i was listening to the word this week i discovered some interesting things and thought it would be cool to share them with you today right and maybe you might find what i have to say and these discoveries which were startling interesting today's conversation will be episode 110 which would be part three now if you're interested in part one check out episode 22 and for part two check out episode 70. so with that being said let's begin by viewing some of the verses of scripture that i found interesting and were at least to me startling in my opinion and of course then you're entitled to share your thoughts and concerns obviously this could be the very first time that you're hearing some of these so i just want to get your thoughts so let's begin with luke chapter 3 verse 23 and uh, niv now jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry he was the son so it was thought of joseph so this is a very interesting verse at least for me and the reason why i proclaim it to be an interesting verse is because from reading scripture you get into this understanding that there are spiritual births and there are natural births now when i say spiritual births and natural births i'm not referencing what jesus and his conversation was with nicodemus about going back into your mother's womb or being born of the spirit when i speak about spiritual births versus natural births i'm actually pointing more to what it takes to actually have a natural birth now for those who have skipped out on classes from middle school to high school basically a natural birth is when you have a woman and a man that come together and then they create offspring and an offspring is usually a result of intercourse okay and what transpires is they multiply just like adam and eve right they were told they were created by god on this earth Eve came out of the rib of Adam, and eventually the earth multiplied until you had many. And when I think about what a natural birth is with us, that's how populations have expanded and they have exceeded. But when I think about the spiritual birth, at least in the context of scripture, I think of Samuel. Right. For those who don't know, first and second Samuel is based off the fact that Samuel was a became a priest. And one can say that he had no business being born. We can talk about John, John the Baptist. He's another one. We could talk about Samson. Now, there were prohibitations on Samson and John as a result of what God had planned for them. We could talk about Isaac. He's another one. Obviously, Jesus in this context is one of them. And if you want to play it close, we could also speak about Moses because 
Moses was abandoned, obviously put in a basket, in a pond, and somehow he survived. Now, I'm mentioning all this to you because when we think about these individuals, Samuel, John, Samson, Isaac, Jesus, these are divinely ordered miracle births from God. And all of it had to do with adding on to his plans and his purposes. And if you're reading the passage that Dane just read, Luke chapter 3, verse 23, you're really honing in on the idea that based on natural births and based on Mary and Joseph not pretty much sharing much about how Jesus came about, it would be pretty much predicted that Jesus is actually the son of Joseph. And I love it in how it's phrased in the NIV, right? So it was thought, which means if we're not added in God's hand over making what transpired actually happen, then predictably it would appear that Jesus is the son of Joseph. Now, I want to look at the context and what transpired later on into Luke chapter 4, and I want to look at verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. So, again, they looked at how well raised Jesus was, and yet, they point it back to the idea, isn't Jesus the son of Joseph? So that's one of the things I found to be interesting is that God's plan to appear in a virgin mother, Mary, and then make his presence known by developing as a child and then eventually growing and maturing and gaining favor with God and man was all part of the plan, but it was a surface plan. But what God really had going on was much more deeper. So this is one of those passages that you read where you can appreciate the authentic reality of what people assumed while also appreciating and acknowledging the plans God had behind the scenes and the purpose of Christ coming in the form of a man and developing and growing and maturing to eventually start his ministry in his 30s. So, Daniel, have any thoughts to when you look at that verse? Honestly, I don't really have anything to add. Okay. Not on not on that. Okay. You got a few more. Let's go to the next verse. Let's go to Luke chapter 4 verse 11. NIV. I believe Jonathan meant Luke chapter 4 verse 13. Yeah. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him into an opportune time. So this is a very interesting verse, at least for me. And one of the reasons why it's interesting is because 
What led Jesus into the desert was the Holy Spirit. Which means it was a part of the process that it took before Jesus started his ministry. And I think sometimes when we see someone being tested or going through some things, we automatically assume to an extent that it was the devil's doing. But the root awakening is that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert. And obviously, if you know the story, you know that the devil tempted him religiously, tempted him economically, tempted him politically. And if you don't want to look at it in those abstract ways or those lenses, you can say that he was tempted with the desire to feed himself. He was tempted to bow down worshiping God. He was tempted to using his power irresponsibly, right? But what I find interesting is this verse here is that he left them until an opportune time. And that made me realize that in life, anytime you are in pursuit of something that could be helpful or useful to you or that was promised to you, what you can expect is that there's a threat on the other side. Which means it's going to be a challenge that awaits you. And that made me realize, too, that with every opportunity, there are oppositions on the other side. And therefore, when I'm looking at this verse and I'm thinking about what the devil does or Satan does or Lucifer does, is that when he sees that you're on the brick of doing something amazing or you're on the brick of making a change or you're on the break of looking to pursue something he then shows up because it's an opportunity to distract you it's an opportunity to deter you it's an opportunity to put a monkey wrench in a way to prevent you from going along the path that you believe god has called you on or you believe that you're guaranteed that there's some success and the devil wouldn't be the devil if he wasn't doing that, right? It's a passage in Peter where he speaks about not giving the devil a foothold to come through. You know, it's about being mindful that the devil's job is to challenge you in ways not only for you to rely back or lean back on your faith, but for you to come to the realization that. If he can just throw you off your game, he can just have you operating in fear, right? And we know in Romans, God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of love and power and sound mind. Then he can get you and put you in a place of concerns and of worries. And ultimately, that can lead you off the path of where you're trying to go. So I came to the realization that. When Jesus had finished pushing back against him by using scriptures, the devil left him because he understood that Jesus couldn't be had in that moment. And it's what makes the other interesting thing is Jesus was in this period of time was fasting. And most times when you're fasting, especially 40 days and 40 nights, that's when you're supposed to be weak. But actually... I've actually heard it was said that there's some athletes that do this. 
that they have the ability to fast during two days and they speak about how much more focused they are when food is not a priority but the task is and Jesus during this time all his focus was on the meditation of scripture the meditation of doing what's right and therefore the devil thought it was an opportune time to test him but in actuality because all that was on Christ's mind was focus and his desire to make his father proud it wasn't an opportunity where the devil can just show up so one of the reasons why I love this passage is that you have to be mindful and aware that if someone shows up and let's say they're speaking negatively about you. We know in James it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger is not the righteousness that God our Father desire. So that means when that anger or when that person comes with that spirit of negativity or that spirit of division, your goal is not to give in. Your goal is to recognize that, hey, this person is trying to get me to do something that I know that's going to prevent me from being successful. So what do I need to do in this moment? Well, I need to avoid it. I need to respond appropriately. And therefore, it doesn't come off as an opportunity. It's that, in, in fact, it comes off as an opportunity that I'm aware well of. And therefore, the devil is not catching me slipping. So I... My suggestion is for people out there to remember that it's better to respond than react. And don't allow the devil to use a period of time to show up to steal what's valuable to you. If there's a promise, understand the threat is necessary. And, you know, mm -hmm, sure. to add to that. People expect their emotions to do everything for them. Huh. And the devil understands that it's easiest to attack you through your emotions. Because in a state where if you're considering your fasting, you're more susceptible to be what? Agitated? Yep. Aggravated? You will annoy quicker. You will be less susceptible to being patient. Mm -hmm. And because you're maybe low on patience or more irritable, you are likely to think through how you feel versus responding based on what you know and what you understand and not just understand but overstand which is a small difference because when you you can understand something but it may not lead to action but when you overstand something it will lead to you responding with the correct action because you already know how to respond for an example if you know anything about fighting right there's many different ways to deal with a jab you have several different options and when you overstand something you understand how to defend the attack and you will respond accordingly. 
So when you see the jab coming at you, you can slip, you can block, you can parry. There's different ways for you to handle dealing with that punch that's incoming. But when you're thinking through your emotions, right, mm-hmm. you may be more likely to be caught by the jab. Or you may be more likely to try to eat the jab and then try to return a harder shot just by taking the jab and then responding that way. Mm. So when the devil is attempting to, as he said, timing is key, right? Yeah. An opportune time. The, the key word in, in that verse that I read, which was Luke chapter 4, verse 13, where it says, when the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him into an opportune time. An opportune time is when you're on an emotional high. And an emotional high doesn't always have to be a positive thing. It can be a negative thing because it's two different ends of the spectrum. So the devil will tend to attack you, for example, as you said, when you're trying to do something new. In order to do something new, it's going to come with a lot of frustration because it's not something that you're used to or have the answers to. So you are more likely to be dissuade on what it is that you're attempting to do in this time because you will be responding more through your emotions rather than what you understand because at this point you understand nothing but you may understand some things that you pre-planned but you're not prepared for what exactly it is that comes your direction so all of that to say in order to the reason why Jesus was able to counteract the devil's attack even though the timing seemed like it was opportune or seemed like it was a good time was simply because he had wisdom and he overstood how to respond in a moment where the devil felt like he would not respond with wisdom. So that's how I interpreted and and broke down that particular verse. Yeah. I think it's, I think what you said is a hundred percent on point and to add more support to that, there's a passage in Luke chapter 5 verse 16 that says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed and the reason why this is a very powerful verse is because in order for Jesus to remain intact and humbled when he was acting in his divinity there's a scripture that talks about he never considered himself one with God to be taken advantage of instead of being arrogant and prideful right Jesus will often withdraw to small praises and quiet praises and pray so he can remain humble. Remember, Jesus wasn't just acting in his divinity. He was also acting in his humanity. Right. And therefore, as a result of that, with all that he with all that what he was doing, he also had to maintain a certain character and decorum. And that comes as a result to being given a large responsibility and then acting rashly and and consistent with it you know so i think the point that you made mention is 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 actually very powerful useful and helpful and i think those who are listening can learn something from it all right let's move on to this next verse here that i thought was interesting and we're going to need to read the context for this we're going to go to luke chapter 4 and we're going to start at verse 24 to 29 Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his whole town. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, 
when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidai. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Namim, this serene, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So I find this passage interesting because for a little bit more context, Jesus opened up the scroll of Isaiah and read a verse or read a passage or a series of verses within the passage. And here, I thought this was interesting because they were fed up with what he did. And towards the end, it appears that they were attempting to kill Jesus. Which is why they forced him to the cliff. But what makes this interesting, at least to me, is that within the break of potentially being pushed off, how was it that he was so much able to casually walk right through a crowd and went on his way? And it got me thinking about the appearances of Jesus throughout the Old Testament, right? And this is obviously Christ within his divinity. Because when it came to Jacob wrestling with a man, I believe that was Jesus. When it came to Abraham having communion with Melchizedek, I believe that was Jesus. This is the reason why it's important to understand that when I spoke to about, you know, the, the first passage that we looked at, you know, Luke 3.23, is to understand that Jesus was not a created being. He always existed. And when he came through and he came to our world to help redeem us and save us, he went through a natural birth, but on the prep on the precipice to a spiritual and divine point that God opened him up to for him to show up. God himself showed up. And when we look at this passage, we see Jesus so casually being able to pass through. And I find that interesting and fascinating because I've never would have thought that. Now, there are two other portions of scripture that I think we should go to to support it. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 13. And this is what it says. It says, The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So are we supposed to believe that Jesus is that conniving and sneaky that he can just get past and people wouldn't notice him. I think to some extent he tapped into his divine powers and was able to get away without people cautiously remembering. If you think about it, if we go to the Gospel of John chapter 20 verse 19 in the English Standard Version, 
it also says this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So, for those who know, when Jesus was resurrected and they were in the closed room, Jesus appeared to them. Which means one can surmise he happened to appear to them without knocking and it being the door being open to them. Which means there was some invisible qualities. In other words, God's ability or Jesus' ability not to be limited and to make its appearance shows you that he wasn't just man. He was also spirit. You know, there's a passage in Colossians that speaks about Jesus and the whole uh, everything dwelling within one person was amazing for us to really think about how that could even happen, right? Because, again, I'm looking at this and I'm asking myself, how did he get away? He couldn't have been that sneaky. What are your thoughts, Dan? Uh, I think it's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> that was my first thought. Um, it it kind of reminds me of even when he came back from the dead. Uh-huh. And they, the disciples didn't recognize his appearance. Yes, on the road on the road to Damascus, correct. Luke chapter mm-hmm. twenty four. Yep. So, you know, maybe it is divine power, but that's the that's the first thought that came to my head. I was like, oh, that's a bit of a stretch. But then I thought back, and I was like, well, not me, not necessarily. Even though it wasn't evidently pointed out, like, hey, this is what's going on. It's it's a lot of context that supports that. So. Yeah, and the passage that I'm talking about is Colossians 2, 9. It says, For in Christ lived all the fullness of God in human body. And we're going to touch on this because, you know, I think the reason why I'm highlighting this is because these are moments where we learn that these there were periods of times where Jesus could have been arrested, and yet his hour had not yet come, which means he was able to sneak past people and people that weren't unaware how do you move from being thrown off the cliff to easily if you're the main focus easily getting past them i don't know it's fascinating to me it's like this is just mind-blowing all right so let's go to luke chapter 7 verse 35 and this is one of my favorite verses we're going to start at verse 31 and then you'll find out why it's my favorite verse. Daniel? Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. If we play the pipe for you and you did not dance, we sang a jar. And you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. So, I find, 
you know this verse to be very powerful and i'm going to read it in the nlt we're looking at this specifically verse 35 and it says but wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it so the key here in verse 35 is that if we're looking back at the version of Daniel read the niv it says but wisdom is proven right by all her children but wisdom is proven right by all her children and what i discovered here is that who is wisdom in this verse and proven right by all her children what's that mean so what i realized is that jesus calls himself wisdom in fact if you go to Proverbs chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 12 through 21. And this is key. Daniel? I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight and I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles and all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the path of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, and filling their treasures. Yeah, so if we check for the context, right? We go back to Luke chapter seven, and we just read verse 34. What does it say there, Daniel? The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. So, what do I learn from this passage? Well, they're pinpointing Christ's association with these individuals. A glutton, a drunkard, and a tax collector. They're all sinners, right? And what they're saying is, how dare you hang out with these individuals? Now, what I am gathering is that if Jesus is everything that we read in Proverbs 8, from verses 12 through 21, what will be proven right? is that if Jesus encounters these individuals and then they begin to follow him, then their lives will be transformed. And if their lives will be transformed and then they hold steadfast to what is being said for them to benefit from, then guess what? Their association with Jesus would guarantee that the wisdom he departs to them 
will show evident that they're living and following him. And as a result of that, success and flourishing comes. You see, when I look at it in the NLT, it says wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. So if you read a passage in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Blessed and highly favored are those who hear my words and continually observing it. So rather than see the word wisdom there, replace it with Jesus. Right. And it says, yet Jesus is justified by all. His children. And therefore, that would mean all of us that have elected to follow Jesus. In the end, when the dust cleared, he will be justified. And he will be justified because of our encounter, an encounter with Jesus guarantees that your life will never be the same. And if it guarantees that your life will never be the same, that's a result of the impact that he has and who you have elected to submit yourselves to. And then that shows that Jesus is a lot more than just wisdom. So I love this passage because, yes, wisdom would be proven right. So we all have to consider that. The side we choose, the belief system we decide to embark upon, who we place our faith in, who we trust. At the end of the day, not even not necessary. Just the end of the day, when life ends, you're gonna find out whether or not who you chose and what you decide to do, what the result is. And here I'm banking on Jesus. I'm believing in Jesus. That his encounter and my relationship and our relationship with him would guarantee us eternal life. And that's what I got from that verse. Any thoughts, Daniel? I really like uh, the beginning of Proverbs 8 where it says, Dwell with prudence, which also can mean dwell with consciousness or cautiousness, not consciousness, but cautiousness. Mm-hmm. Which is another word I think it makes it easier to understand. And it's like dwelling with cautiousness or having a healthy fear. Because later on in the verse it says the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech. He all hates these things. So uh, I like the verse because it kind of tells you how to move. and how to not only carry yourself, but also how to think. So if you want to operate within wisdom, then you have to find knowledge and discretion, like just kind of bringing it all together. Mm-hmm. And then he talks about how kings and basically anybody of title and of power and position all operate with that same type of mindset. So that's what will make you successful in life and make you a successful thinker. Mm-hmm. So one yeah. thing I want to add on to that, the word prudence there is another word for salt. And that's godly wisdom, godly discernment, godly judgment. There's even more evident for us to see that that wisdom is really Jesus there. Because if I replace that, I, Jesus, dwell with prudence. He provides godly wisdom, godly discernment, godly judgment. 
when we read in Matthew about us being the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and how can the earth be salty, right? How, how can the world be salt if it's not salty? It's speaking in regards to what the believer does by bringing in that perspective, right? When we look at the word fear of the Lord is hated, the word fear there can also be reverence. That God's pursuit of us is not always necessarily for us to fear him, but to be to have reverence, which is to have respect for someone or something. Right. So everything that you're saying is spot on. Right. And the whole goal of me highlighting mm -hmm. and pointing out. Jesus being the wisdom element is because I do believe at the end it's because of connection to Jesus Christ. Of course, in the Gospel of John, those who have elected to follow the shepherd, us as sheep, by the way, the reason why we continue following is because, is because he causes us to follow. And as a result of that, him causing us to follow guarantees that everything's going to work itself out because that's what sheep do they follow the shepherd and the higher hand abandons the sheep so we know the distinction between the two and knowing the distinction between the two and knowing the sound of the voice of the shepherd guarantees that how things will plan out it's going to plan out because of the stewardship and guidance of god so thank thank you so much for providing that insight into the passage to proverbs because it connects back to why wisdom would be proven right by our children and all his children and as long as we stay attached to the shepherd or we stay attached to his words i don't see how we couldn't be successful or remain successful and now just to translate that into like a without the <laughs> the uh how do i say it to make it like easier to understand for like anybody who just you know walks around and may not have such a great understanding of the Bible, um, what he's trying to say is because when you operate with cautiousness, you're gonna also ask questions, and when you ask questions, it's gonna lead you to wanting to seek answers, which also goes back to where he says, "Those who seek me diligently find me." which means you're going to seek out knowledge, which is the godly discernment that you're going to find from the word. And it will give you the godly discernment because there's two different types of discernments, right? You can discern things on your own, which can also lead you to being, being tricked, or you can seek spiritual wisdom, which comes from God, which gives you the godly discernment. So you cannot be tricked because then as I stated over, earlier you'll overstand it so you'll act accordingly so okay cool it's more simpler mm -hmm. translation yeah because you know the the salt term could be uh it's it's hard to understand even the first time i heard it is a bit confusing. oh salt just being prudence yes, yes the word prudence is interchangeably salt and it's just right bringing about yeah the perspective of god and salt being a preservative and that as believers in the society, we are preservatives, which means I would say we're never the main course, we're always the alternative. Which means for some people, they might think that they need to be the focus, but God has called us 
to silently be an alternative to society that allows the society, the people within the society to operate and live a certain way. And by you living and doing things. You're burning the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. You're overcooking. <laughs> Got you. All right. Let's go to Luke. We have two more verses here. Let's go to Luke chapter 7. We're going to leave verse 47. This is very interesting. English Standard Version. We're going to 47? Uh, Luke 7. Or you want to do 34 first? Uh, oh, no, no. Yeah, no, we did 34. Yeah. We have two more. Uh, Luke seven forty-seven. Okay. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. So this verse right here opened up my eyes a bit because it made me realize that sometimes a person who has trouble loving sometimes is a result of their personal experiences that they're having where they're making mistakes, but whoever they're dealing with isn't forgiving them, right? We spoke about one time Ezekiel thirty six twenty six that speaks about a responsive heart, and that God gives us a responsive heart to act according, act accordingly in response to Him, because now we're more receptive. And I started realizing that a lot of times, what causes a person to struggle is how their reality is shaped, and if a person is going through life making mistakes and asking for forgiveness and not receiving it, that kind of builds up an idea surrounded to why they're what somebody would say cold-hearted, right? Mm. And the reason why they're cold-hearted is because of how they were raised, how they were treated. And it's not necessarily their fault. Because they're going through things and whoever is raising them, they're raising them a certain way. And I think that's where we enter a system that gets created where people start to wonder why a person is not so open or why a person is refusing to express their feelings and emotions. But now in a society now where we're wondering, is expressing your feelings and emotions making you weak? Is not expressing your feelings and emotions making you strong? There's so many narratives surrounded about that, around that. But mm. I look at what Jesus says here when he talks about he who is forgiven little loves little. And I can understand that because how can you extend your love out to somebody when you don't know what it's like to be forgiven? You start you sort of withhold what is potentially there, and that's a result of you not experiencing a certain amount of love that allows you to believe that you can make mistakes that and not be the end of the world. Right? So that's what got me stuck on this verse, right? He who is forgiven little loves little. So if no one is forgiving me for the things that I do, how can I be open to forgiving others the way that it needs to be i don't think i can why because i've never been in placed in that situation 
that allows me to freely do that. Instead, I'm just doing what I was taught and how I was raised. And I think this is where you get inadequate balances with other people and how they're raised. And you think a person has a certain level of manners and respect, but you learn later they weren't taught to. So this is a very, very tough verse for some. But I think it's obvious. What do you think, Dan? I'm on the spectrum of forgive little. So I can't I can't really uh elaborate in a positive way. Okay. And I I generally like to give a positive perspective on things, but I feel like and I will express myself when it comes to that. Um I feel like if somebody does something wrong, it's not that I don't forgive you. I'll forgive you the first time, but I'm going to be very wary of you because what I happen to come across is that people are creatures of habit. And one mistake usually is a pattern of mistakes or it it tends to lead down uh, a road where the same thing is going to occur. And that's not to say I want to give it, I give everybody a fair shake of the stick when it comes to this, but people want to make mistakes and they want to continue to keep making the same mistakes and then continuously be um, forgiven while you continue to endure the same amount of I don't want to say punishment because that seems like a harsh word, but they want to keep on, they keep on making the same mistakes and they're not fixing it, but then they want the forgiveness. So that's why I tend to feel like I'm on the spectrum of forgive little. So maybe I love little because of that, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't let people continuously, uh, be in a position where they can keep dishing out the same thing. I feel like if somebody um, expresses something that makes them uncomfortable and then you forgive them, but then you keep doing it, then I I almost feel like it's a lack of respect. Hmm. So it's, um, that's why I said, I think I tend to, to be on the opposite end of that spectrum. And I don't, necessarily agree with this verse because there comes the point where it's like once the boundary is up if it's not respected then you need to be exiled that's the way i look at things because hmm. if you if you look into the context the woman obviously took the expensive perfume or cologne and poured it on jesus and she was seeking forgiveness and Jesus forgave her, right? And we know the passage that if a brother or sister offends you, forgive them 77 times over. The question is always asked, is the forgiveness for me? Or is the forgiveness for them? I've always just viewed in the context that the many wrongs that I commit on a regular basis, it's only quite obvious that the forgiveness has to be a result of how often Christ has forgiven me naturally when it comes to the mistakes that I make. But I do understand where you're coming from because it takes time to get to a place uh, of forgiveness. And then 
having to be aware of the fact that your forgiveness in some senses when it comes to how other people treat you or how other people respond to your kindness and generosity can be thought of as being taken advantage of and therefore if you think the person is taking advantage of you then you start to question and wonder is what i'm doing or is the hand that i'm extending out to that person being well received and then giving them opportunity to make adjustments and sometimes it doesn't right so that in itself is always difficult i just thought that the verse was very powerful and interesting because i believe that the way it's being phrased is that one of the reasons that a person forgives little uh is a result of them loving little and i think that has to do with how how like willingful they are to release those certain things because you know forgiveness some may say is not received is some say is earned some say it's a process right and the beautiful thing of us all living on different levels is that we can't say everybody's along the lines the same way or feels the same way about things sometimes it takes a little longer sometimes it's not always accurate so i can completely understand what you're saying uh any follow response for that because we have one more verse and then yeah i think it's more um it's more disappointed than anything i think mm. that's the best way to way to put it fair enough and um yeah it's not it's not so much that i don't forgive you but i see you're not uh mm-hmm. correcting it so also for myself, I have to understand that I have to wait for you to find your way. So it's not that I don't forgive you. It's, uh, well, you can't be here till you find your way. <laughs> I'm not going to uh, guide you to where you need to, what you should be seeking for yourself. I may put you on the path, but I'm not going to work. I'm not going to walk the journey with you. I, I, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's the, the best way I can explain it. All right. So last verse that I thought was interesting, and I probably covered it, but I still think it's worth mentioning, was Luke seven thirteen. But let's begin at verse eleven, and then we'll get to thirteen. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd with with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold. A man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. So, the reason why I love this passage is because a lot of people focus on what Christ did by bringing Lazarus back to life. In fact, it was purposely done where Jesus allowed the dead body to remain a little longer before he actually performed the miracle. But a lot of people don't place an emphasis on the fact that he brought this young child back to life. But the reason why I love this passage is because we were talking about God's divinity. This is God in his humanity because it talks about the compassion he had for her. One of the shortest verses in the Bible and it's found in the Gospel of John is that it said Jesus wept. It shows that, yes, we talked about Colossians 2, 9, how it all dwelled in the body of Christ bodily, 
here you have where Jesus is recognizing what transpired and he's showing compassion to this woman. It's almost so he corrects the issue, right? And I want to just express that the meaning of compassion is to recognize the suffering of others and then take action to help. And that is one of the things Jesus was doing. We know that he came to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, and to feed those that are in despair and hungry. One of the, some of the things that Jesus came to do. And the reason why Jesus is such a powerful figure and a recognizable figure is that he did everything justly. He did everything solidly. No one could ever convict him of sin. And here you have a woman who has lost a son, and then he prevents that. And I think when we, when we think about this whole passage and we think about what's happening here, is that no one can ever say Jesus never had love for people. Because he did, right? Before he fed the people, the 5,000, the 3,000, he spent time with them. He used a little boy's school lunch in order to feed all those who came to listen to him. That's an element of compassion. He could have easily let them. He even talks about in the scripture that he didn't want them uh, to stumble and break down on their way back home after taking the time to listen to him. So this is just another way of expressing God in his humanity and being able to empathize and understand the stuff that we go through because he was here on earth. He walked with us, he's among us, and therefore, what better person should be responsible and appreciated and you should submit to than one who has experienced being a human and being able to provide us a way and a standard that we should follow suit. Any thoughts you have to this one, Daniel? Not really. Okay. Not like anything that I think uh, wasn't already stated. All right. So, yeah, this is Startling Discoveries Part 3. And this is just an example for those who read Scripture. Sometimes the power in the Scripture is lies in your ability to read something, question it, go back, reflect upon it, think critically about it. And you'd be surprised what it could take you to, right? And I'm pretty sure a lot of us always go through that. You'd be surprised how often you can read something over and over again and get a different perspective every single time. And I want to just give you an example of what that is. So with that being said, we can jump right into devotional time. In James chapter 1, verse 5, and we're going to read this one out of the NIV version. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Wisdom often is equated with the number of wrinkles on a man's face. But honestly, wisdom comes from a place other than time alone. Wisdom most often comes from accepting God's word as truth and living your life according to it. As a matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 affirms this by saying the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
too often you think you become wise by living through difficulties and learning a lesson afterwards. I'm here to tell you, my friends, that a good source of common sense and a part of the reason older folks have so much good advice to share not only comes from the fact that they went through those difficult lessons, that is true, but true wisdom from God offers uncommon sense, which means it's inspired instructions from the Creator Himself on how best to live and honor Him in His world. Maybe those you say are wise beyond the years have simply been spending time learning wisdom from its true source, which is God. We talked about this earlier in Proverbs chapter 12 through 21. Uh, chapter Proverbs chapter 8, excuse me, verse 12 through 21. Remember and understand this. Wisdom is available to all, and godly wisdom surpasses the, earth, the earthly wisdom of anyone you know. So Lord, dear Lord, I ask you for wisdom to deal with life's many problems. You said all I have to do was ask, so I'm asking. Help me to recognize your wisdom when it comes. And all in agreement say, Amen. Amen.